Having trouble planning that next vacation? Famous world sites getting humdrum? Are you tired of hotels, coffee shops, and cranky stewardesses? Then why not take the eternal vacation? That's right, Rapture Airlines. You don't even have to go to the airport. No, Rapture Airlines is taking off right from where you stand. And your flight? Oh boy. Plenty of leg space, music by the Archangel, and complimentary glasses of living water. And that's just the start. When you arrive at your destination, no waiting in a crummy hotel lobby. The owner himself will be there to greet you with the keys to your own private mansion. It's so beautiful, you'll think you're in heaven. Well, you are. So don't put it off. Get your name written into the book today. We could take off at any time. Don't get caught up in the world. Get caught up in Rapture Airlines. Truly the only way to fly. Well, we're talking about the rapture today, <laughs> so we need some prayer, so let's pray. Father, we come before you today, we pray that as we open your word, that you would speak to us, that you would give us insight into it, that you would anoint me, that I might speak it truthfully and honestly, and uh, Lord, that you would guide us uh, to where we go. Lord, it's a controversial subject in many ways, and so Father, we just pray that you, your word would guide us and your spirit would guide us, uh, for we ask this in Jesus' name, amen. Well, as I mentioned two weeks ago in my last message on eschatology, that the rapture is kind of like the, the thing that everybody's talking about. It seems like the only thing anybody ever knows about eschatology is the rapture. <laughs> and that's because we've been fed a steady diet of pre-tribulation rapture. That means that the rapture happens before the tribulation, which happens before the millennium. And uh, so, uh, and then I mentioned the, uh, these movies that I saw as a kid, and, uh, and, and I mentioned them last, or two weeks ago, and a couple of people said, oh yeah, I remember those movies, they scared the heebie-jeebies out of me, <laughs> and I can see a few of the people my age are going, yeah, yeah, I remember that, uh, because what would happen is, you'd come home from school, and you'd expect your mom to be at home, and your dad to be out in the garage, and nobody was there. And all of a sudden you're thinking, did the rapture happen? <laughs> or somebody left their lawnmower idling in the front lawn when they went to make a phone call or something, and you walk by and you're like, oh, where's that person? Did the rapture happen? And this was terrifying to some people. And it, it became a joke, actually. Every time you came to a meeting on the wrong date or something and nobody showed up, the joke was, I thought the rapture happened. You know? And uh, people, of course, would come back with, oh, I thought you were a Christian. Aren't you supposed to go with the rapture? But of course, it was this, what I call rapture PTSD. <laughs> it was just this terrifying thought that you'd be left behind to face the beheadings and the, the horrible things that the beast would do to you. And so uh, that's what happened. Of course, we've upgraded these films, uh, as I mentioned last time. We've now got uh, Left Behind the movie, Left Behind Tribulation Force, Left Behind the World at War, Left Behind... And left behind the next generation. Lots of left behind. Because that's the main theme of pre-tribulation uh, rapture ideas. That you want to get your ticket in so that you can get out of here before all that terrible stuff of the tribulation happens. Because who wants to go through that? And if you get left behind, well, it sucks to be you. You're going to go through the horrible tribulation. You'll probably become a Christian because you, your friends told you, hey, there's going to be a rapture. And millions of people disappeared. So suddenly it all becomes really real to you. Uh, and it's terrifying. Um, so that's what we're going to do today. We're going to talk about what is the rapture. And number two, when's it going to happen? And uh, so obviously I'm not going to put a date on it, okay? Just so you're not too stressed out there. But we're going to talk about when it's going to take place because there's a bunch of different views out there. And uh, so we're going to just go through the Bible, check out all of them. And, well, three of the main ones. Um, now, today's sermon is not going to be me telling stories and jokes and all that kind of stuff. This is going to be more like a seminary class, okay? Uh, so we're just going to go through the Bible and figure out what it says. That's, that's all we're going to do. We're not going to, I don't even have a conclusion, nice story that I usually have or whatever. We're just going to look at the Bible, try to figure out what is going on here with this rapture thing. Um, there's no motivational talk this morning. Unless 
My only motivation today is I hope that you will go and dig through the Bible yourself and figure this stuff out yourself. Look into some eschatology yourself. Draw it on a board. Try to figure out when it all happens. Good luck with that, anyways. Uh, But it's kind of fun. It's kind of challenging, too. Uh, So... Uh, we're gonna first. First, I'm gonna talk about what is the rapture, and the rapture. Basically, I'm just gonna read some scripture verses that really describe it, and we're gonna glean some truths. What what actually happens at the rapture? So, First Thessalonians chapter four, verse sixteen is the most common, well-known passage about the, the rapture, and it gives quite a bit of detail about what is gonna happen. Uh, basically, Paul. Uh, there's some people in Thessalonica that have contacted Paul, and they're worried that their friends who have died maybe have already experienced the rapture and are already with the Lord and they're feeling like maybe we're left out or they're, may, or they're thinking maybe those friends who have died uh, didn't last long enough so they didn't, they're not going into the millennial kingdom of Christ uh, and maybe they're going to hell. We're not sure where they are. What's going on? And so this is concern about loved ones who have died. So this is, this is Paul's response to that. And he says... Um, For the Lord himself will come down from heaven with a loud command and the voice of the archangel and with the trumpet call of God and the dead in Christ will rise first. That's pretty exciting. I mean, boom, this is big stuff. After that, we who are still alive and left will be caught up together with them in the clouds to meet the Lord in the air. And so we will be with the Lord forever. So uh, notice some things here. The, the first, what, what's the main event here that's happening? The big, the big event. What? Can't hear you. The, the Lord coming again. That's the big event. The Lord himself will come down from heaven. This is where all the focus is, that it's the second coming of Christ. Um, and, then, and then there's some audio. This is what you're going to see, right? You're going to see Jesus coming down from heaven. In other passages, we're going to see how it's really spelled out what you're going to see. But what is, what is going on audi- audibly? There's a loud command. I don't know what the command is going to be. Maybe look up or, or here I come. I don't know what the command is going to be. Get ready. I don't know. Uh, and then there's going to be a voice of an archangel. And then there's going to be this trumpet blasting away. It's uh, in other places called the last trumpet. It's going to be loud. <laughs> and so there's going to be this deafening noise going on. Uh, louder than a jet, I imagine. Um, and then uh, notice what happens to the believers. The dead are being raised. The, the living are being caught up together. And they're going up in the clouds. And they're meeting the Lord in the air. This is why we call it rapture airlines, right? It's because there's a sense that, that suddenly the laws of gravity and physics, somehow they disappear, or may our bodies, but it, it, the change is actually in us, not in gravity. Uh, there's a song out there, turn off gravity so we can fly. <laughs> kind of like it's cute. But the change is us. We are changed somehow. Uh, I don't know. And we're going to look at that a little bit with some other, other passages. But these are the things that always are in common when it comes to when we're talking about the rapture. There's the coming of the Lord. There's uh, the sound of trumpets and voices and archangels. And then there's this transformation of our physical bodies into something probably much more spiritual. And we're going to look at that in some other passage. Um, So you might say, well, is this the only passage on the the rapture? Oh, no. There's quite a few, actually. So we're going to look at what Jesus said about the rapture. Jesus talked about the rapture in Matthew chapter 24, that great chapter about end time events. He, He spends the whole chapter talking about what's going to happen at the end. And in verse 30, he says... Then will appear the sign of the Son of Man in heaven. And then all the peoples of earth will mourn when they see the Son of Man coming on the clouds of heaven with power and great glory. Now, I don't know if the Christians are included in the mourners, but for sure the people of the world will mourn. They will realize, I've been a fool all my life. My Christian neighbor has been talking about this all my life, and I never listened to him, and now I'm not ready. 
And then what does it say? And he will send his angels with a loud trumpet call. So we're talking about the same event. There's this loud trumpet call going on. And they will gather his elect from the four winds and from one end of the heavens to the other. So again, visually, what happens? There's a sign of the Son of Man in the heavens, and they see the Son of Man. Notice the word see. Uh, and, And coming with power and great glory. So there's a lot to take in. It's like, whoa! This grand vision happens in the sky. Jesus is coming and everybody sees him. Uh, and then audibly, what, what happens audibly? Well, there's this trumpet call, right? Same as the other one. Uh, and then what happens? The, the, the angels gather the elect from the four corners of the world. And there's this sense, it says, from the four winds. It doesn't say four corners. It, it says from the four winds. What does that mean? I, I think it's all reference to this, the clouds of heaven, the winds, this whole airy uh, spiritual feeling about the whole thing. It's kind of weird, you know? Uh, and, and from one end of the heavens to the other, it doesn't say one end of the earth to the other, it says one end of the heavens to the other. There's this a sense that this is all going to happen up in the air. Pretty cool. Uh, and notice the addition of the angels doing the gathering in this particular event. Um, now, Mark has the... Uh, do we have the next slide there? I think... Okay, maybe we don't. Okay. And Mark has virtually the same thing. But in those days, following that distress, the sun will be darkened, the moon will give no light, the stars will fall from the sky, and the heavenly bodies will be shaken. And at that time, people will see the Son of Man coming in clouds with great glory and power. And he will send his angels to gather his elect from the four winds, from one, the ends of the earth... And, the, and to the ends of the heavens. Well, there you have it talking about the ends of the earth and to the ends of the heavens. But again, there's something that you're going to see, and there's this sense of being caught up in the clouds and, it's, uh, and meeting him in the air. Pretty cool. Um, in John, Jesus says, I will come back to take you where, where to, to be with me so that you will be where I am. Um, in Philippians chapter 3, we have uh, Jesus say, or Paul saying, Our citizenship is in heaven, and we eagerly wait a Savior from there, the Lord Jesus Christ, who by the power that enables him to bring everything under his control will what? Transform our lowly bodies so that they will be like his glorious body. Pretty cool. Jesus is going to come and transform us. Now, now, what do we know about Jesus glorified body well we know that jesus would show up unannounced and uninvited through locked doors and suddenly appear in front of the apostles well that's kind of different and we also know that at time another time he's walking with a bunch of disciples down the road they go and have stopped for dinner jesus breaks bread and, and prays for it and suddenly poof vanishes that's different so his body is kind of different. Now, the thing is, it's still a physical body because he told uh, Thomas to stick his fingers in the nail holes. Mary grabbed his feet. He, he asked for some fish to eat and said, hey, look, I'm eating some fish. See, it's real. I'm real. I'm, I'm not a ghost. So it's very strange that he has both this sort of physical body, but also he seems to be able to translate and do things that normally you wouldn't do. And, of course, on the last days that the apostles are with Jesus, what happens? He suddenly starts floating, not just levitating. He's floating up, up, up into the clouds, and away he goes. And the angels come along and say, hey, what are you guys staring at? Uh, we just saw a guy float up into heaven. And the, what do the angels say? Hey, he's going to come back the same way you just saw him leave, on the clouds, right? So... This is what our bodies are going to be transformed into. Something like that. Pretty cool. Um, So then, uh, let's see here. So 1 Corinthians chapter 15 also talks about this event. So this is the fourth passage that talks specifically about, or fifth passage that talks specifically about this event of our bodies being changed, about uh, us being caught up. Uh, together with the dead in Christ and meeting the Lord in the air. And this is 1 Corinthians 15, verse uh, 51 to 53. Listen, I tell you a mystery. We're not all going to sleep, but we will be changed. 
There's that change thing again. In a flash, in a twinkling of an eye, at the last trumpet, there's that trumpet thing again. The trumpet will sound, the dead in Christ will be raised imperishable, and we will be changed, for the perishable must clothe itself in imperishable and the mortal with immortality. And so, again, we have the trumpet sounding, we have uh, the prominent theme is the transformation of our physical bodies into something kind of supernatural. Uh, we don't really know what it is. In fact, the whole passage of 1 Corinthians is, is about the fact that we don't know what we're going to be like. We, we, we don't really know. It's not explained to us in detail. But we know we're going to be able to fly, which is pretty cool. Uh, so, now, whoa, one, one thing that this passage adds that none of the rest have is how long it's going to take. How long is it going to take? Just like that, a blink of an eye. It's just going to, boom, that's it. <laughs> wow. So I'm going to just list all these things that we've just discovered from these five or six passages that we know about the rapture. The first is that the main event is Jesus Christ appearing and all of the world seeing him and, and the people of this world mourning and, and being concerned for their own well-being. Secondly, we know that there's going to be a lot of noise, uh, mostly this trumpet blasting off. Uh, it's going to be loud. There's going to be an archangel and a uh, loud command. Uh, and then number three, the, our constitution is going to be altered, transformed, changed. I don't know what you want to call it, but we are going to be something different completely different. Uh, we're going to fly, uh, and we're going to be with him for eternity. Um, so, so if the first big event is Jesus coming, the second big event is us being transformed. Angels are involved in the gathering, uh, and it happens in an instant. Well, that's what's going to happen. Now, the only question is, when is this going to happen? All right? So we're going to look at uh, when it's going to happen. There's three major thoughts in Christian teachings, particularly among evangelicals. Uh, these are the three. I've tried to picture them here. I know you can't see it, but I'm going to talk about them. First one is pre-tribulation. That means that there's going to be a millennial reign of Christ, right? That's the end of all three of these. Before the millennial reign of Christ, the Bible talks about a great tribulation coming, a terrible time on earth. And, uh, and then it's up to us theologians to figure out, well, okay, when is Jesus coming back? All of these views, go back again. See the big red arrow? All three of these views believe in Christ's coming right before the millennial reign, his millennial reign. So he's going to come to earth to set up shop and reign from Jerusalem. On, he's going to land on Mount of Olives. It's going to get split in two. There's a lot in the Bible on this coming. It's a big deal. And so all three of these, these views believe in the second coming of Christ, coming before the millennial reign. But there are different times when these three views view the rapture happening. The first one is before the tribulation. This is the popular one. And I know why it's popular, because who wants to go through the tribulation, right? <laughs> At least I think that's... It also preaches really well. You know, repent and get saved so you don't go through the tribulation, you know, and all these horrible things tra happening in Revelations, all, the, all the, uh, the insect bugs that come to kill you, the plagues that come to kill you, the water turning the blood, the hailstones that are coming to kill Yeah, it's nasty stuff. So this is, this is a very comforting one. So it preaches really well. Repent, get saved, so you don't have to go through all that stuff. Um, then the next one is... Uh, the the mid-trib. So this is where the rapture happens halfway through the tribulation. The the uh, all the stuff about the leopard and the and the uh, the reign of terror, the beast and the and Satan and and the image of the beast and all those horrible things and the beheading of the saints. Uh, this happens in the first half, but then. In the second half, there's God's wrath poured out in judgment, and judgment, and it's, it's, well, you wouldn't want to be around during that time. Uh, and then at the very end of that, Christ comes and sets up his millennial kingdom. And then the third one is the post-tribulation, uh, which views it, uh, that the tribulation is an indefinite period of time, possibly seven years, but possibly much longer, that happens before Christ sets up his kingdom. And at the, the, the tribulation will end 
when Christ comes in great glory and power and sets up his kingdom. And at that moment, the rapture of the church will happen all at once. So Christ comes, church is raptured, uh, the, the dead saints are raised up from the dead, and it all happens at once, uh, and then the millennium kicks in. So today, I hope you leave with one of those sort of prominent in your mind, but maybe not. Maybe you are just going to confuse the living daylights out of you. I don't know. <laughs> Here we go. Uh, so the first one we're going to do is uh, pre-tribulation. Uh, oh, oh, before we get there. Uh, yeah, this, this slide. Notice that all of these views are pre-millennial. Remember a few weeks back, I talked about all-millennial pre-millennial, post-millennial, okay? So I believe in pre-millennial, as do most evangelicals. And so evangelicals tend to believe this because the Bible has a pretty clear depiction of the millennial reign of Christ. Uh, so, um, so we're not debating pre-millennial, all-millennial, or post-millennial. What we're talking about today is pre-tribulation rapture, mid-tribulation rapture, post-tribulation rapture. So the, the other three are about the return of Christ. These three are about the rapture only. They're not, they're not about the return of Christ, really. Okay? I hope that was clear. Um, so let's go to the, the next slide. Yeah, so here's the... Pre, this is the, mo, the predominant uh, view. I would say 80 to 95% of evangelicals believe that Christ is going to come before the tribulation. And, uh, and so um, when I went to Bible college 38 years ago, w- they were teaching this stuff. And it was a hot topic. These videos were, had just come out. The, and so we talked about it in, in class. And so I went, and like a good student, I went, okay, I'm going to search this out. I'm going to figure out what I believe and which, which, which stand I take. And so I started with the one that I, I, I was spoon-fed, pre-millennial, or pre, sorry, oh nine, now I'm mixing it up, pre-tribulation, uh, and so I, I grabbed my Bible, I started digging around in it, and boy, was I ever shocked, I was looking for all these passages that talked about Christ coming before the tribulation, do you know the Bible doesn't anywhere in it say that Christ is coming before the tribulation, nowhere, there's no verse in the Bible that says that, now, that doesn't mean there isn't biblical verses that support that idea, but nowhere does it say it. Okay, so the Bible also doesn't ever say the Trinity, the word the Trinity. That doesn't mean we don't believe in the Trinity. The Trinity is definitely very well taught in the Bible. But the Bible doesn't anywhere teach uh, the, or, or I'm sorry, not teach. The Bible doesn't anywhere expressly say the, tribula- the return of Christ, I'm sorry, the rapture will come before the tribulation. It's just not in there. So what does it what does it say? And where does this idea come from? And why do so many people believe it? Well, we're going to go there. It comes from three basic ideas. The first idea is that the Bible says that Christians are not destined to wrath. Uh, and so um, there's this idea that, um, and I'm going to get into this. I'm just going to state the three things first. So so that's the first one. Secondly, uh, there's this obscure verse in uh, 2 Thessalonians that talks about the one being removed before the Antichrist is revealed. This Usually this removed one is equated to the Holy Spirit or the church. And so basically they say, well, when the church gets raptured, the Holy Spirit's gone, so he's not stopping the Antichrist from showing up anymore. Um, and so we're going to talk about that verse. Uh, and third, the third idea is that there needs to be some time for some prophesied events to happen before Christ's second coming. Like there needs to be some time in, spent in heaven to do a few heavenly events um, because these things are prophesied to happen when Christ gathers his church. So the two of the two events in particular are the, the judgment seat of Christ, the Bema seat, where he gives out the rewards for uh, being, being holy Christians, the rewards for um, serving Christ. So that's called the Bema seat. So the idea is that, well, you've got to get to heaven so you can have the Bema seat 
experience uh, in front of the throne. And the second event is uh, the marriage supper of the Lamb. I mean, if we're all left down, if we all get raptured and then come right back down to earth, well, when are we going to have the marriage supper of the Lamb? Uh, It seems pretty clear that that's in heaven. Uh, There's no details on that. So so this is where this idea, so, so these three things make up the entirety of, as far as I can see, and I've studied this a lot, uh, the, the entirety of this idea that Christ is coming back to rapture the church before the tribulation. Okay, so there's three verses that talk about that Christians will not uh, suffer the wrath of God. And the, they're found, two of them are found in Thessalonians and one in Revelation. The one in Thessalonians says this, You turn to God from idols to serve the living and true God and to wait for his son from heaven, whom he raised from the dead, Jesus, who rescues us from the coming wrath. So there you have it, black and white. There's the wrath of God is coming, and we're, we're going to be rescued from that. Um, so then also in 1 Thessalonians 5, so this is in the same book, likely talking about the same thing, okay? For God did not appoint us to suffer wrath, but to receive salvation through our Lord Jesus Christ. Now, if you take this thought that we're not supposed to, you know, that we're going to somehow be rescued from wrath, God's wrath, and that uh, God has not appointed us to suffer wrath, and you look in the book of Revelations, well, what does it say about the bowls of God's what? Wrath. <laughs> being poured out, right? Uh, what does it say about God's, uh, the, the hailstorms that are coming on the earth? What does it say about these things? Well, it describes it as God's wrath being poured out on humankind. Uh, here's one of the verses in chapter 6. They called out to the mountains and the rock, fall on us and hide us from the one who sits on the throne and from the wrath of the Lamb. For the great day of the wrath has come, and who can withstand it? Sounds like wrath to me, doesn't it? That's, that's, and if you read this in, in, in next week, I think it's next week, I'm going to try to do the impossible and talk about Revelation chapter 4 to 20. <laughs> One sermon, so <laughs> that'll be fun. Uh, but, and you'll see a lot of wrath, <laughs> a, lot of, a lot of outpouring of God's wrath. Chapter 14, verse 19. The angel swung his sickle on the earth and gathered the grapes and threw them into the great winepress of God's wrath. My throat is drying up. Can someone grab the bottle of water that Josh gave me before the service? Thank you, Josh. Um, And then Revelation 15, verse 1. I saw... In heaven, another great and marvelous sign. Seven angels with seven last plagues. Last, because they, with them, God's wrath was completed. So the last, seven last plagues are clearly God's wrath being poured out on the earth. So the logic goes that if these are all part of the tribulation, then Christ is going to come and rescue us from this time, so that we as Christians don't have to face the wrath of God in the tribulation. Um, and so, <clears throat> if so, so, in other words, if Jesus comes after the tribulation, how in the world are we supposed to get rescued from the tribulation and from the wrath of God? And so that's the the logic. Um, he's got a rapture of the church, I guess, beforehand. Um, so pre-trib rapture view is essentially trying to explain the rescue of God before his wrath is poured out. Um, there's one more verse that holds up this logic, and it's uh, Revelations chapter 3, verse 10. Since you, This is uh, Christ's message to the church in Philadelphia. He, he says, Since you have kept my command to endure patiently, I will also keep you from the hour of trouble that is going to come on the whole world to test the inhabitants of the earth. Cool. So again, there's this idea that they won't have to go through the tribulation. The rapture before the tribulation works well with this passage as well. 
So that's the most compelling reason for the pre-tribulation rapture idea. There are a couple other places that we can go to, and, and I'll just bring up one of them because I hear it every time I bring up the subject. Uh, I hear this verse, this passage, and so I'm going to throw it out there. But if you're pre-tribulation raptures, please don't use this verse. Okay, <laughs> it just doesn't work. Okay, but I'm going to explain it anyways. Um, in the second Thessalonians, so this is the second letter. So Paul has already write, written about the rapture, and now he's writing some more details about it. In in chapter two, it starts with concerning the coming of our Lord Jesus Christ and our being gathered to Him. So it's about the rapture and the the second coming of Christ. This passage is about. And so you get down to verse 6, and it says this. Now you know that what is holding him, and, and that's referring to the man of lawlessness talked about in verse 3. I told you this was going to be like a, se- a seminar course, a seminary course. <laughs> Hope you're not losing it there. Keep tracking, okay? Uh, it's talking about there's something holding back the man of lawlessness. And, and Paul says to the Thessalonians, you, you know what that is. Now, for all of us theologians, we look at that and go like, well, we don't know. It would be nice if you told us who it is or what it is that's holding back the lawless one. Um, and, and, and then he goes on, so that he might be revealed in the proper time. For the secret power of lawlessness is already at work, but the one who holds it back will continue to do, do so until he's taken out of the way. And then the lawless one will be revealed, whom the Lord Jesus will overthrow with the breath of his mouth and destroy by the splendor of his coming. So what is being said is that this verse talks about something that's holding back the lawless one. We also know know him as as the Antichrist uh, or the false prophet. So he's got a few different names, but there's some power that's holding him back. And what People who, who have espoused the, the pre-tribulation rapture say, well, that's the Holy Spirit holding him back. And when the church gets raptured out of here, he's going to be taken away. And so there'll be nothing left to stop the man of lawlessness from coming and taking power. Um, and so, uh, so now I don't know about you, but when I first heard this idea, I kind of looked at the pastor passage and I kind of went like, well, I don't really see a reference to the Holy Spirit. I don't really see a reference to the church. I don't really... This could be anything. This could be a big angel. It could be God himself. It could. There's no reference to anything here. So I was just like, that seems weird. So I never really took this one in, and people keep bringing it up. So... But anyway, I'm going to talk about it more later, okay? So hang on to that one. Um, and the third idea that we need time prophesied for events to happen. Um, so I'm going to quickly go through someone, what someone else wrote here. In 2 Corinthians 5.10, teaches that all believers of this age must appear before the judgment seat of Christ in heaven. This event is often known as the Burma judgment from the Greek word bima. And it is an event never mentioned in the detailed accounts connecting the second coming of Christ to the earth. Since such an evaluation would require some passage of time, the pre-trib gap of seven years nicely accounts for this requirement. Since Revelation 19, 7 to 10 pictures the church as a bride who is being ready for, made ready for marriage uh, to her groom, the bride has already been clothed in preparation for her return at the second coming, accompanying Christ to the earth. And it follows that the church would have been already had, have had to complete, be complete and in heaven uh, because of the pre-trib rapture in order to have been prepared in a way that Revelation 19 describes. This requires the interval of time which the pre-tribulationalism handles well. Dr. D-Ice. That's what I need for my car, some D-Ice. But <laughs> Um, so I looked for some more compelling scriptures for the pre-tribulation rapture idea. I even called my mom, asked her to give me a list because she believes in that. And that's all I could find, okay? So that's pre-trib. Now we're going to skip mid-trib. I'm going to leave that for the very end. And uh, 
<clears throat> so the main point of the post-trib rapture people is that the Bible... Oh, so, so did, yeah, so that, that the Bible, unlike the pre-trib rapture people, the Bible actually specifically says when the rapture is going to happen. It's very, very clear. In fact, if you've been paying attention to the verses I've been reading, you would have noticed when the rapture is going to happen. It's very clear in all the passages that we already read. Um, and so the post-tribulationists just go like, well, well, it actually says when it's going to happen. It's going to happen when Christ returns in his second coming. And I'm, let's have a look at this. Uh, in, uh, so in, in 1 Thessalonians, the main passage on the, uh, uh, on the rapture, I'm never going to get done this sermon on time. Oh, my goodness. Do I push on or do you want to break for a week? <laughs> I think I should push on, okay? According to the Lord's word, we tell you that we who are alive, who are left until the coming of the Lord, will certainly not precede those who fall asleep. For the Lord will, himself will come down from heaven with a loud command, and the voice of the archangel, and the trumpet call of God, and the dead in Christ will raise first. After that, we who are alive and left will be caught up together with them in the clouds to meet the Lord. And so we will be with the Lord forever. Therefore, encourage one another with these words. Now, brothers and sisters, about times and dates, we do not need to write you, for you already know very well that the day of the Lord will come like a thief in the night. Okay? So there's two references in this passage to when this is going to happen. When's it going to happen? When? The second coming. It's in the first, at the coming of the Lord. And the very end, on the day of the Lord. Right? That's when it's going to happen. So that's what the post-tribulationists just say. They just go, well, it's going to happen when the Lord's on the second coming. It says it in all the texts. Uh, so you got to have a really good reason to contradict that. Um, so... Now, the phrase, the day of the Lord, you know how many times that is in the Bible? 34 times. Old Testament, New Testament, all over the place. The day of the Lord. This is also called the day of vengeance, the day of anger, the day of judgment, the day of wrath. And it's all through the Bible. There is a coming day, and we know it's coming. Uh, and uh, so the post-trib argument goes like this. If it says the rapture is going to happen on the day of the Lord or at his coming, why would you look for another time for the rapture? That's when it's going to happen. Uh, one difference... Well, uh, sorry. So no, notice the passage, other passages that we already looked at. Then will appear the sign of the Son of Man in heaven, and all the peoples on earth will mourn, and they will see the Son of Man coming in the clouds of heaven with great power and great glory. And he will send his angels with a loud trumpet call, and they will all gather the elect from the four winds from one end of the heavens to the other. When's that going to happen? At the second coming, right? When the Lord comes. And then we have this word, then. What, what is the word, then? Well, it refers to the verses before. So if you grab your Bible and look at Matthew 24, you'll see uh, that if you back up from then, when Christ comes, you'll see in verse 21, there will be great distress, unequaled from the beginning of the world until now, and never to be equaled again. So in other words, this is a classic description of the tribulation period. Uh, and it says then at that time, what time? The time of this great tribulation that's going to hit the whole earth. Uh, if someone says, look, here's the Messiah, or there he is, don't believe it. When? Before or during the, uh, the tribulation. Don't believe it, if that's what they're telling you. And then what does it, what does it say the next verse, verse 29? Immediately after the distress of those days. What happens immediately after the stress of those days? Well, the sun goes dark, the moon won't give its light, the stars fall from the sky, the heavenly bodies are shaken. So immediately after what? Well, the distress, the, the tribulation. So again, it's spelled out very, very, in English, after that. <laughs> and then it goes to verse 30. Then, after the tribulation. 
will appear the sign of the Son of Man in heaven. And there will, all the peoples of the earth will mourn. And they see the Son of Man coming in the clouds of heaven with great power and glory. And he will send his angels with a loud trumpet call, and they will gather his elect from the four winds. I don't know how you can miss that. It's right there. Okay, so I'm, I'm not trying to be facetious. I'm just trying to point out what the Bible says here, okay? Um, Mark has the exact same timeline. It's exactly the same. How dreadful it will be in the days for pregnant women nursing mothers. Pray this will not take place in winter because those who, days of distress will be unequaled from the beginning when God created the world until now and never will be equaled again. In other words, it's going to be so bad, there's not going to be another tribulation, anything like this. This is, this is it. This is the bad one. But in those days, following the distress, the sun's going to get darkened. And at that time, people will see the Son of Man coming in the clouds of heaven with great glory. And he will send his angels to do what? Gather the elect. So when people say, well, it doesn't, the Bible doesn't say when it's going to happen, actually, it kind of does. <laughs> it's fairly clear. Uh, 1 Corinthians 15 also indicates when it's going to happen. It says, in a flash and twinkling of an eye, when? At the last trumpet. Well, we already know in Revelation there's seven trumpets. They're the last plagues. And the last trumpet is going to be the trumpet that brings all the elect of God together. Um, okay, finally we get to Second Thessalonians 2. Uh, the verse that talks about that nebulous person that holds back the Antichrist. Now, you've got to really keep your hats on for this one, okay? <laughs> this one's a little bit complicated. Uh, we ask you, brothers, not to become easily unsettled or alarmed by... Oh, first of all, it starts with this line. The coming of the Lord Jesus Christ and our being gathered together to him. So, so this whole passage is about that event. It's, it's described as one event. The coming of the Lord and our being gathered together together to him so this is the event that they're not supposed to be unsettled or alarmed by a prophecy asserting that the day of the lord has already come there's the day of the lord thing again uh, don't be letting anyone deceive you in any way the day of the lord will not come until what the rebellion occurs what's the rebellion well it's the tribulation the antichrist the, the image of the beast the beast all that stuff so what's going to happen first tribulation then the lord will come Okay, uh, and the man of lawlessness is revealed, the man doomed to destruction. He will oppose everything, or he will oppose everything that calls, is called God or is worshipped, and so that he sets himself up in God's temple, proclaiming himself to be God. So the argument here is that the person who holds this from happening, or we're going to, uh, anyways, so he tells us not to believe anyone that tells you that our gathering together in him is going to happen when? Before the tribulation, before the man of lawlessness is showed, shows up. He's telling very plainly, don't believe that. It, the man of lawlessness has to come first. Before we are gathered, we will be gathered together with the Lord in his coming. Okay. Uh, but then in verse 5, it goes on. Don't you remember that when I was with you, I used to tell you these things, and now you know that what is holding him back. Here's this weird passage. So that he might be revealed in the proper time. For the secret power of lawlessness is already at work. But the one who now holds it back will continue to do so until he's taken out of the way. Now, I know a lot of you are saying, yeah, so that's what we've been taught. But I'm, look at it carefully. This can't be the rapture of the church. Because... The rapture of the church is with, with uh, the coming of the Lord Jesus and being gathered to him has to come after. The whole passage is about the fact that it comes after the man of lawlessness is revealed. In fact, the whole point is that the man of lawlessness has to be revealed first. So don't worry about it. If you haven't seen the man of lawlessness, the second coming of Christ hasn't happened yet. The gathering of the saints together hasn't happened yet. So don't worry. Don't stress yourself out. Oh, okay. And then it ends, the lawless one will be 
Then the lawless one will be revealed, whom the Lord Jesus will overthrow with the breath of his mouth and destroy by the splendor of his coming. So you see that? The splendor of his coming at the end, the coming of the Lord in the beginning, it's all one passage. And it's basically saying, don't get stressed out. It's not going to happen until after the lawless one is revealed. Okay. Very passage where a key verse supporting the pre-trib clearly states the opposite. It's actually saying the opposite of what pre-tribulation teaches us from this passage. And I'm like, whoa, how's that happen? I don't know. Okay. Uh, so what about all the other passages about being rescued from the coming wrath? Like, surely the pre-tribulation people have it something right, right? And I, and I kind of agree. They, there does seem to be this idea that we're going to be saved from the coming wrath. But what is the coming wrath? Is that clearly defined in any of these passages? No. If you look through the, I think, 14 places where the wrath of God is, is described in the Bible. No, there's more. I think it's about, I can't remember, around 20 or so. I looked through them all. It's really hard to put the tribulation wrath in those places. They all refer to the wrath of hell and the judgment of God on sin. They all refer to that. I'll give you one example. Uh, Romans chapter 2. Because of your stubbornness and your unrepented heart, you are storing up wrath against yourself for the day of God's wrath, when his righteous judgment will be revealed to those who by persistence in doing good seek glory, honor, and immortality. He will give eternal life. But those who are self-seeking and who reject the truth and follow evil, there will be wrath and anger. The day of God's wrath, wrath and anger, seems like that's talking about hell, isn't it? Uh... Then in 1 Thessalonians 4 and 5, the rapture is explained in detail. And remember that's in that passage that we have this other reference to the wrath of God. So it's in 1 Thessalonians, the big passage on the rapture. For God did not appoint us to suffer wrath, but to receive salvation through Jesus Christ our Lord. So what is the wrath that's being talked about there? Is it the tribulation wrath or is it the wrath of hell? Well, let's expand to the verses right around it. Let us be sober, putting on faith and love as a breastplate and the hope of salvation as a helmet. For God has not appointed us to suffer wrath, but to receive salvation through our Lord Jesus Christ. He died for us so that whether we are awake or asleep, we may live together with him. Why did Christ die for us? To save us from tribulation wrath? No, to save us from hell. This is why he died on the cross. And so... The hope of salvation as a helmet is a hope that we will someday be saved from our sins and go to heaven and spend eternity with Christ. So I think that's why he died for us. There's not much evidence that he died for us to save us from the wrath of the tribulation. But he definitely died to save us from hell. Uh, And then if you look at other passages... Um, i got to fly along here. Uh, so if you look actually in Revelations, what does what it call God's wrath there? Revelations 14, verse 10. It says, they, uh, I don't have the whole passage here. Maybe I have it on the screen. Yes, I do. If anyone worships the beast and his image and receives this mark on their forehead or on their hand, they too will be drink the wine of God's fury, which has been poured full strength into the cup of his wrath. What is this describing? Tribulation or something else? It's pretty clear that it's describing hell. They will be tormented with burning sulfur in the presence of the holy angels and the land, and the smoke of the torment will rise forever and ever, and there will be... Uh, neither day or night, no rest day or night for those who worship the beast. It's a horrible, horrible thing. And it is all through the scriptures that that is the wrath of God, and it's to be avoided at all costs. Um, What about the passage to the uh, Philippian church that says they're not going to suffer the trials that are coming on the whole earth? Well, not Philippian 
Philadelphian church. The Philadelphian church doesn't exist anymore, as do none of the churches of Revelation. So it's kind of hard to say, well, that applies to everybody. That would be a stretch. So, I haven't even got to the mid-trib yet. <sighs> and we haven't got to communion yet. Okay, three more minutes. We've got three minutes. Let's do it. Uh, so that's basically why I struggle when it comes to pre-trib teaching. I just can't find it solid in the Bible, whereas I can find some very solid, very clear passages that support post-trib. But then there's this other view, mid-trib. Okay, and I skipped the verses in the passages we've already read, so I'm not going to read all the whole passages all over again. I'm just going to read the, the passages I skipped. Matthew 24, verse 22. If those days, talking about the tribulation, had not been cut short, no one would survive. But for the sake of the elect, those days will be shortened. At that time, if anyone says, here's the Messiah, there he is, do not believe it. False messiahs and false prophets will come. Uh, and then in Mark, says exactly the same thing. If the Lord had not cut short those days, no one would survive. But for the sake of the elect, he has chosen, he has shortened them. And if you look through the grand scheme of revelations, you will discover that the, the tribulation is broken into two pieces. The time where the beast and the leopard and the, the ten, uh, seven-headed thing coming out of the water and the ten, with the ten crowns and the, the image of the beast and the false prophet and the, and the prostitute, they all happen early on. And then there's this other thing that happens later on, the wrath of God being poured out in undistilled measure. And when we read through the Old Testament prophecies of the coming of Christ, there is this very clear picture of him coming with a, with a scepter of iron to smash the nations. It's a very disturbing picture, actually. But God, he comes wielding this thing and destroying the nations. Well, that kind of fits that he does that before he sets up his millennial kingdom. So maybe I'm a, a mid-tribber. haven't quite figured out what I am there. But I think there's a lot of validity to that. But the day of the Lord is, just comes in the middle of the tribulation and overcomes. I think it's kind of like this, this view basically says, you know, the saints are being killed, martyred, and there's just the, the beast is running amok. And there is, you know, the mark of the beast and the... People worshiping the beast, and there's great deceptions going on. God just says, okay, enough. For the sake of the elect, I'm coming back now. Boom. Judgment comes, and all of the, the second half of the tribulation is all God's wrath being poured out on the earth. The saints are already in their spiritual form, so they're not really experiencing that wrath. So it does actually fit all together mid-trip. Kind of like that one. Uh, anyways, whew. Ah, I'm done. Whew. 